doing well. My name is Anahita Sen, and I'm a co-facilitator of the M&A Stories YouTube podcast, which is brought to you by Fifth Grown Business Insights. Welcome to season three. The theme of this season is culture and its impact on M&A integration. Culture is one of the biggest challenges that face an M&A integration. And this challenge couldn't get any bigger as more companies are pursuing M&A based on people and culture. That is why it is important to understand, internalize, respect, and develop a clear plan of action on how to handle culture in M&A. In this season, we will be interviewing industry leaders from across the globe to hear their stories on how they address culture in an M&A integration. So here we go with today's episode. Our guest today is Sarah Rogers, who is a senior M&A practitioner based in the U.S. Hey, Sarah, good to see you. Welcome to our show today. How is the weather in your part of the world? Good afternoon. It is cold. It's almost Christmas um, here in Portland, Maine, and it uh, it's a little white and very gray, and it's uh, it's cold. It's it's winter boots and down coat day. So, yeah. How about awesome. you? Awesome. Yeah. yeah, we had a few cold days here, uh, um, but now since yesterday it's been raining, so the temperatures have gone up a bit, uh, and that's that's all right because. Uh, in Amsterdam, we're not really used to those cold days anyways, but it's good to have them every now and then. So, uh, but it's good to see you after a few months here. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's been a few months. It's nice to see you. Ready for the holidays, I hope. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's um, get started with an introduction from your side. Sure. Happy to. So, um, Arnabad, I know we've known each other for a while, but you know, I'm big in the M&A space. Don't focus necessarily on the deal side, but I get very involved on designing what the integration looks like, coming up with that long-term strategy and vision for realizing all of the numbers in the in the entire deal thesis and what that looks like for a company. I've um, been doing that for almost 25 years, and my background is mostly financial services, but the past seven or eight years, I have been involved in event management, uh, big one on healthcare, been doing a lot of healthcare, and I've just stepped back into the fintech world and really enjoying it. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. And um, you know, since you've got so much of experience, um, you also had mentioned that you have a fair amount of cross-border transactions as well, and you've encountered culture, and culture is a theme um, of um, of our conversation today. And when we talk about culture here, we talk about the organization culture a lot more than geography culture. What's your take on the importance and the impact of culture in M&A integration? It, it's huge. You know, the first integration that I did was so early on in my career, and having grown up in Portland, Maine, we bought this large, we merged with this large company um, down south. And I thought, oh boy, different, you know, different culture down south. Great. You know, I didn't spend a lot of time down there as a kid. And that was good. And then I worked for, you know, Canadian Bank. I'm like, okay, we got a little bit of a different culture, a little bit of a cross-border thing going on. It was a little bit different. But then I want, I I went to work for one of the world's largest banks and very heavy on an Asian influence. We were over in Europe, South America. So for me, that was a culture I had never been involved in. And it was a very different approach to how to interact with people, how to relate. Working through time zones alone was a challenge um, and figuring out what worked for, for everyone. And it's always, it's always a delicate balance. You're not going to make everybody happy, but you do have to figure out what works. 
Awesome. And I know you've got quite a few stories uh, for in your bag today. But before we jump into the stories, um, what are some of the common challenges um, or obstacles that organizations face when they encounter culture or cultural integration? Yeah, it, culture is one of the things that I picked up a little bit later in my career and how important it was. <clears throat> I remember really early on doing all the acquisitions and the integrations. For me, I found it really important to be on site. It was a lot of travel, um, a lot of time on planes, in a car, <clears throat> but I really couldn't put my finger on it until I realized, wait a minute, I'm here with the people. I get to see them every day in the office. I get to understand how they prepare for meetings. I know my own company that I'm working for, usually the acquiring company, but then to be acquired, you have to step into their shoes and you say, wow, they don't like eight o'clock meetings. Okay, I need to change that. Or they get really nervous before meeting with you know the company that just acquired them. How do we right. make this a little bit different? So for me, I found that being on site was really important. And then it started to click that personalities and understanding how the companies work. Because when you're looking at a company, when you're looking at a target, it's really easy to focus on the numbers. Yep. It's easy to look at the revenue. It's easy to look at the synergies. It's easy to look at, okay, why are we doing this? And at the end of the day, it's it's all about the money and sure. bringing more to the customer that you serve. Great. But when it comes to actual integration, so much of it is on the people and the culture. Right, and right. Integration that's often lost. And it's usually when you're putting the numbers together in the deal, you don't understand exactly how the company works. Right. Ultra perspective. And when that's missed or ignored or put on the back burner or not one of the main focus areas, you can have a lot of challenges. You can have entire departments walk out on you. Sure. Sure. And and what you mentioned about, you know, uh, when we had started our careers uh, uh, in the M&A world, culture was not one of the first things that... Uh, you know, people like us thought about it, it, but over a period of time, it grew on us. Okay. Um, why don't we hone in to one of those early days in your career when you started noticing why you need to put more focus on culture? I think it's about 10 years ago, one of, I was working for a large bank and having come from Maine, I've moved across the country twice, find myself in New York City, and I didn't understand, number one, the pace that New York operates. It's like a whole other planet. Fell in love with the city, which is great. It, I think <laughs> it's something for my love of what I do. Really enjoy the energy, but then understanding when you're working through an acquisition where you've got a very different culture in South America. Right. Driving pretty hard to meet some deadlines, and they're like, well, we don't do this because we've got Fridays off or we don't do meetings after this particular time. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. I've got to remember this is how they function. This is part of their norm. And as it is integrations, people don't like change. Right. So how do I take the right approach, moving things forward at the right pace for this particular team? And it was it was pretty challenging. I remember when I had first moved to New York, I was going back to Southern California a lot. And I remember at one point I thought I've got to be up because I've got to work with London 
I've got the New York folks, I've got the LA folks, and then I need to be on the phone with Tokyo in the evening. Right. Which time zone do I want to work in? Because you have to manage through all of those and you have to be accommodating working in the integration space. Sure. Um, that, you know, that's a challenge. Right. And now let's go to a story where culture played an important part. So let's start with setting the visualization. What was the culture? What was the acquiring company culture? What was the acquired company culture? How big were they? How small were they? So, you know, set the stage for us. Sure. So I um, I took a bit of a step back in my career in 2016, and I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to take a break, and thought I'll go back into the, uh, just doing some independent consulting work. So here I am in New York City. I've got a closet full of black suits, great heels, the whole nine yards, and I get a call from a consulting firm, and they said, hey, can you come meet with this client? Um, they're private equity backed. They're headquartered in London. They've got a small U.S. presence, but they're looking at this, at doing this uh, acquisition in the Midwest. And I should, sure, happy to. I'm not sure I'm ready, quite ready to go back into, into integrations yet, but I said, I'd be happy to meet with a client. To make a long story short, uh, I spent two years with this client and it was a huge growth opportunity for me. And I remember hearing stories afterwards. They said, you know, we were concerned because here you are in the middle of Manhattan you've been working, you've got a huge experience in the integration work, and we've got you flying up to the Midwest every week. And I got to the point where I'm like, you know, I need to blend in with our culture. When I come back to Maine, I don't wear my black suits. I don't, you would never know that I spent a decade in New York because I come in and I blend in in Maine. I had to take the same approach with a client and realized no black suits. Don't and come in with a preconceived agenda and drive home really have to temper the pace. And I remember them saying to me, we appreciate the approach that you took because it worked in the Midwest. You can't take the same approach that, uh, that you do in big banking for a small integration for a smaller client relative. It was huge for them. Family owned business, huge for them. But for me, it was relatively small and I had to temper my approach and the way that I approached the entire process and even what I wore. I didn't wear black at all for the first six months while I was on site. Didn't wear it at all. And, you know, it was it was neat. And afterwards, I remember the team saying, you know, we had a lot of respect for the way that everybody from the team approached this acquisition. And it was, right. Um, so why is it such a big deal? I mean, you know, it's clothes at the end of the day. Why is it such a big deal? It's perception. You walk into a room and within the first uh, 10 seconds, right. look at, people look at you and go, okay, they're sizing up how you carry yourself, how you present yourself, how you speak, how you engage with them. Eye contact. Do you shake their hand? Do you get up when people walk in the room? That tells a lot about a person and how you're going to lead the team through the integration. Right, right. And and that that's why that's where I want to get a bit more deep um, in the conversation, um, what would have happened if you had landed up in your suits and your heels? Uh, what would have happened? What would be, would have been some of the ramifications uh, that may have been there? And how does that? How is that detrimental to an integration? I think the number one thing that, when I think back on it, I would have appeared to come in with a bunch of preconceived notions. Right. It, I would have come in with an agenda and this is how we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. 
because this is what the client wants and we're going to take this approach and you never find out everything during the diligence process we were very lucky to have oh, yes. the time that we did so to come in it's you have to take the approach of they know their business you don't know their business right they know how their business runs they have their pulse on their customers and so a huge amount of time that I spend, especially early on in the first six to eight weeks, is just listening, is sure. sitting, absorbing, and listening to come in with a black suit and a set agenda and driving and being aggressive. It doesn't allow folks to open up to you and say, hey, you know what? I think this might be a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. I get where you want to go. We're all driving in the same direction, but they had some fantastic ideas. And it took us a while to turn the ship around, but it worked. And right. we built a far better company with better synergies than we went in with a deal model to begin with. It took us a little bit longer, but it's appearance and presence and approachability. And I think when you come in as a consultant to a smaller company, especially in the Midwest, you've got to be open. Yeah. You in the country. It's a little bit different, you know, in some of the bigger cities, but you have to be there. You have to be personable and you have to listen and appearance is your introductory card to that. Awesome. That's a great example of where things went well. Now, let's roll back in time. Let's roll back to early days of your career where you had just started with your M&A integration experience, still not very familiar with different kinds of culture. Um, would you be able to share a couple of examples when things actually went wrong and you learned it the hard way? Yeah, Eight years ago... <laughs> Got a few of those stories. Um, yeah, learning the hard way is uh, my favorite uh, some days. Um, it, I remember doing way back, it was probably almost 20 years ago now, that uh, we bought a small bank and I was the integration lead on site. I was going around meeting with different people and I had kind of left one of the departments to kind of the senior leader and the ball was dropped. And there wasn't any follow-up. And I finally showed up and they're like, dude, it's been eight weeks. We haven't heard from anybody. And I'm like, oh no, the entire department walked out. The entire department walked out right. with billions of dollars in assets because they took all their customers with them. And it was, it was a big miss. It was a big miss of not making sure that you touched all of the different areas some areas require a little bit more, a little bit more handholding, a little bit more interaction, but you can't, you can't forget everybody needs to feel valued when going through an integration. And they said, you know, we're, we were going to wait to see what happened. And you've told us exactly how this is going to happen and we're done. And I was like, ouch, that really hurt. Right. That's one of the things, isn't it? It's the building the trust. It's showing respect. It's your uh, ability to listen to them or at least make them feel that they're being listened to. I think those are very important parts um, of culture. Now, obviously, there are lots of lessons that you learned from that experience, right? Why does it escalate so quickly? And the other thing is, you talked about billions of dollars walking out of the door, right? So surely this should have been on somebody's top agenda, right? Why did it not appear there? It, it wasn't important. It was small. Um, right level of busyness mm -hmm. I think at that point it was just something oh well it'll just happen right well, it doesn't just happen it takes work right um, 
and that's really important. Sometimes people forget that, that the hard part is usually the integration work, right? You know, it's the deal is great, huge respect for the people that put together the deal models and the numbers and the valuations and all of that huge respect for that. Right. The integration is where it's really important because that's really executing against what you know the deal hypothesis is. Sure. That's where at the end of the day, it all boils down to people are human. And the largest right. assets of any company are the people. Yeah. And that gets lost. That gets lost a lot of times. And when we think about change management, we think about culture and MA. It's all about the people. Right. Yep. We're human and people have emotion and people yes. have emotions. And that can often be lost, especially in the day of Zoom. You're not sitting across the table from anybody. Right. A little bit different. So that's, you know, for me, my background, you know, I've got my uh, my undergrad in, in business and I got project management certified. But for me, that was great. But the human element was what was missing. Right. That has really come to the forefront over the past couple of years for me is really it's all about the people and making sure, you know, we've got the one of the things that I love about M&A is you've got the art of the deal and how are you going to do this integration? And then you can rely on the project management to go through the execution. But the people is often left out. Gotcha. Shifting gears here and getting into the people aspect, right? Um I know a lot of organizations have realized the importance of people, and yet a large number of them end up doing lip service, right? So what are the some of the good practices where you've seen that people have actually understood and taking positive actions to make it happen versus where they're just calling the HR department, people and culture department, and that's the end of it? Spending time with people. Okay. Showing care and concern. Um, it, years ago, we uh, we had to do um, a fairly significant layoff, and it's it's happened a couple times in my career, and I've seen it done a number of different ways. And when people are treated with respect, with transparent communication, and support, right, that is huge. When you're a number on a spreadsheet with a salary attached to it in a very large organization, it it is hard to have that personal touch, but empowering those managers on a day-to-day basis to support the team through that change is, is huge. Right, right, gotcha. And we know that culture is a journey and not a singular event, right? I mean, you have the first few days where the culture is getting to sort of discovery, getting to know each other, a very cautious approach, and then you let your guards down. And really the actual cultural integration value creation happens in a few months, not on day one, right? What's been your experience? How do you see the different stages of culture uh, in integration? The first thing is always a bit of wariness. Right. Uh, You never know as an integration leader, you never know exactly what you're walking into when you do an acquisition or a merger. Um, it's usually a very small group of people that have been talking. Um, And you get a little bit of a flavor of that. Mm -hmm. But when you come in, especially as the acquirer, it's, you have a lot of scared people going, some change is coming. I don't know what this means for me. 
right a lot of reservation and then sometimes you know you'll see um <clears throat> when a vision is shared for why the deal has been done and the vision for the combined company mm-hmm. that goes a long way to getting people on board but when you don't have that type of communication and transparency and discussion early on in the deal people are left with a gap of well i don't know what's happening to me and sometimes they get very protective they don't sure. want to share so getting back to your question, what are the stages? It's it's kind of a evaluation. It's almost like kind of a dating thing. Right. Of, okay, you know, I think you like this in your coffee and we're going out to dinner. Are you vegan? You know, what's the what's the deal here? But then as you spend more time together and you really start to create the vision for the future, you start to engage and learn, you start to develop uh, develop that rapport and trust. Right. And that's where you start to feel each other out and say, okay, are they going to receive this idea? Yes mm-hmm. or no. Um, why are they doing this to our company? Or, sure. hey, where can I be a piece of this? And so there's a little bit of that. There are some instances where you will have a few bad apples. Right. That it doesn't matter what you do. Right. They are just going to be unhappy. And in some circumstances, they will try to undermine and they will right. start to spread discontent and you got to nip that really quickly. That's gotcha. a real challenge that you have to, you have to, as the integration leader, you have got to be aware that that is going to happen and to, right. and to catch it or else you're going to poison the whole pot. So I think we go through what, uh, what are the phases, the storming, the norming, the whole cycle of developing a teamwork at the end, you can develop trust, right? That is the ideal situation. Gotcha. It doesn't always happen. There are going to be some people throughout the integration process that will say, this isn't for me. I don't buy into the vision and values. I don't buy into the culture of the acquired company, or I don't like where this is headed. Sure. And, they will, and then things will start to settle down. But um, sure. Have you seen, um, you know, and again, this is more experiential um, knowledge. Have you seen some departments um, approach this differently compared to the other departments, meaning uh, some departments by default tend to be a lot more wary, a lot more resistant compared to some of the other departments? No, actually I haven't. I've seen it, I've seen it across the board. It's usually right. department specific. Mm-hmm. Um, it all depends on, no, there are different factors for each team, to be honest. Right. I right. haven't seen one team resist mm-hmm. more than others. And every once in a while, you'll get teams where there's such a pride of ownership that that will cause a little bit of a noise of what are you doing to this product that I built? That's where sure. it sometimes gets a little bit territorial or they're proud of what that's they right. And, and yeah. so that's, that can be in, in all of the areas actually. Right, right. No, absolutely, absolutely. What are some of the trigger points that you've seen that lead to employee issues that can quickly get out of hand? You know, some examples there. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of those. Um, I think resistance to change. Right, okay. I think that's a big one. I think there can be, um, it can be an ego issue. Of, right person coming in and telling me how to do my job. Um, you can see that in different pockets. Um, 
those are probably the two bigger ones okay. where you find you find issues and then you will find people that from a skill set perspective just don't have it sure are in the wrong role or they don't have the right skill set um, that we thought they did right right a lot of companies they acknowledge and they say they have an understanding of what they need to do on culture uh, in with respect to a, a, an MA integration but they struggle with the how they struggle with the interventions that's required um what are some of your interventions that you normally would use for cultural integration a lot of coffees a lot of lunches <laughs> very good <laughs> and and i i don't mean that to be flat i i just it at the end of the day it's listening to the people absolutely just listening it's just yeah. being there especially early on yeah. in the deal cycle it's just doing a lot of listening a lot of understanding in a very authentic way it's right. not and and then taking action so so, so let me let me pause you there and if you could sort of narrate uh, the thinking, the planning that you go about, right? I mean, yes, people would understand a lot of coffees and a lot of lunches because what you're trying to do is reach out to as many people as you can from the acquired organization to create uh, some sort of a camaraderie, a rapport with them, understand, listen to them. Uh, but how do you go about planning, right? So let's say you are part of a large company that's acquired a small company in somewhere in the Midwest, right? I mean, and I'm not saying that particular company, but I'm just saying Midwest. How would you go about who are the people that you need to have coffee with or who are the people that you would have need to have dinner with or lunch with? How do you go about planning all of that? For me, it usually starts with the team that did the deal. Right. Okay. As you were part of this, what were the challenges? What are you excited about? Really hearing from them in their own words. Right. Because you're going to get a little bit of a different color after the deal is signed. You're going to start to uncover a lot of things that you may not have during diligence. The next thing that for me that I always do is start to ask them who their key, uh, key leaders are, who their who their culture champions are, who are right. the people that really drive the culture of the organization. Right. Because those are going to be your biggest champions to get on board. Yes. That tell me about your company. Tell me about your team. Tell me what's good. Tell me what's not good. Tell me what you're thinking about this uh, this merger, this acquisition. Right. Tell me what's going to be challenged. How do I help you be more successful? What can I do? And then talk about communication with the team. How do you want me to interact with your team? And really that, that shows a bit of respect. But those are the people that I typically start with um, in order sure. to... And I'm sure not everybody is as open, as generous and amicable to come and speak with you. I'm sure you would have had the nasty ones as well, who hate to talk to you, have conversation with you. How did you navigate those? Or how do you navigate those? Those are challenging. Um, I had an engagement a couple of years ago where I had to learn not to take it personally. Okay. I, did. I had a couple people where... They're like, they hate you. They don't want to see you. You couldn't, I had a really hard time initially trying to get them engaged in what we were doing. And I, I took personal offense to it. I'm like, they don't like me. I right. choose to do this. I'm here trying to help. Um, and that's an awesome example. 
absolutely yeah. brilliant example. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, that that's hard, but I think I've learned um, the phrase lately is go with grace and right. understand that they are coming from their level of perception and not taking it personal. Right. Don't sink to their level of behavior. Mm-hmm. I've seen it all. <laughs> so right. keep, keep professional, keep respectful, but also know your bounds, know where your boundaries are. And if things get set in a meeting, yeah. if there are certain behaviors that tend to be, it's usually a passive aggressive behavior that I come across. Sure. Address it. No, right. we're not going this direction today. We need to go in this direction. This is, this is the purpose of the meeting. I want to get back to the agenda. Right. And this is what I'm going to do. There are times where you do have to have a one-on-one to say, listen, I'm here. I can't have you derailing the meeting. This isn't right. going to work. If something's not going to work here. How do we either work around it? What do we need to do to do things differently? Yeah. And sometimes you do have to address it head on. Brilliant. Brilliant. Are there interventions that you're not very fond of or that you don't see a lot of impact coming from? Uh, there have been times where we've had to let people go okay. because of behavior. Um, that has been really hard. Um, right. I'm not a fan of, for lack of a better term, public shaming. I, sure. I don't, to make people feel embarrassed is not the way to go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Speak with authority and, and leadership. Yeah. But also draw the line because if you let folks cross the line, yeah, other folks are going to cross the line. Right. And you need to know where that line is. That's yeah. hard. And that and determining that early on, mm-hmm. the better it will be where that where that line is. It's it's really a bit challenging sometimes, but you have yeah, to do it. Yeah. That that that's a very interesting call out. And and in fact, you're absolutely right. I mean, I can relate to uh, a couple of MAs where very good call out, yeah. Yeah, that's where if we go back um, a couple minutes to go to what we were talking about, the one of the first things that I want to do is meet with the executive team and yeah. find culture champions because yes. they, they can make or break. Yeah, uh, the whole culture shift, and if if your employee base can see these leaders embracing yeah. and really rising to the challenge, they're going to follow that behavior. Right, leaders lead through their behavior, and I used to have a poster <clears throat> years ago in my office. And it would be walk the talk. You've got right. to go in and walk the talk. You have yeah. To. Yeah. How many companies have you seen what they've put on their posters on the wall versus the actual values that get followed by the employees? You know, uh, what's been your general impression of those values on the poster versus the values by uh, by employees? It's about 50-50. Right. Um, it's about 50-50. And... I've been part of companies, seen companies that it's all about, you know, they expose to these values and it's all this and it's on this board and it's great. And then I sit in a meeting and I'm like, what just happened? What have I walked into? Right. And you go, "Mm, something's not quite right here. Well, we have all of this. And I'm like, but I'm not getting that from the leadership team. What's going on? There's dysfunction in the leadership team. How come? what's you know is it an ego thing is it somebody's gonna do their job is it it's about 50 50 and you find the larger the company you find different pockets of it right right and that's another 
mistake that a lot of companies make, you know, when they do an assessment, especially of the um, acquired company, uh, they would actually see the values on the wall uh, versus evaluating the values of key employees and leaders and um, and uh, and and that often remains a gap. And when they actually get down, just as you explained, um, they struggle with it. So um, any tips around how to catch this early in the journey? Yeah, the, uh, the number one thing that I do coming in as an integration lead, I love to be part of diligence. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be the coffee getter and the note taker during diligence because that gives me a front row seat. Right how everybody's behaving. Right. I get to understand early on the dynamic, especially if you're doing a merger, I get to see the dynamic right in front of me on how the leaders are getting along. And that gives me an early indication of where am I going to have big culture issues? Right. Where am I going to have to get out in front of it? Um, That is key to come in a little bit later, talking to folks and understanding, um, A, understanding what their role is, in the integration is huge, especially in an acquisition, but then making sure that you address any odd behavior early on, huge. Mm-hmm. The quicker you can get out in front of it, they know A, where you stand, but then B, what the acceptable behavior is going to be. Right, right. Yeah. So let me extend the the answer, the response that you just gave and, and talk about what are some of the things that companies should do more of when it comes to cultural integration and potentially do less of? I think do do more um, work around the culture. Right, okay. Acknowledge it first that we are, I, I know that there is a different culture. Um, it Put somebody in charge of, of culture, culture adoption, culture change, you know, depending on how different it is. Have, have that face of the integration from a culture perspective. Right. Super important. You know, it it might sound like a a fluffy job or not very important, but it's really really important because it sets the tone. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Some companies, some acquisitions are going to be a bigger lift. Some are going to be smaller. Sure. Um, recognize it. What can companies do less of? Less of uh, empty promises. Less of um, inauthentic. Hmm. Um, speeches less I don't larger know. than I, life speeches and uh, it, you know you're going to be yeah. great and everything is going to be hunky dory and yeah all, yeah it, it, it's not, oh this is going to be great you know creating the vision for the future okay well it's also going to be a lot of work so yes. recognize it and just you know I'm kind of struggling with that a little bit because it, it's every deal is different which yeah. is what I love about it but at the same time. Um, You've got to be an authentic, authentic communicator when you are in the in the culture space because people right. will see through that and they will call you on. You say one thing, but you do something else. I can't yeah. follow that, and that's yeah. not a good to be. Yeah, um, one of the um, this may come as a bit of a curveball question. Um, you know, my <laughs> podcast always has a few of those. Um, one of the things, uh, one of the elements or one of the phrases, sentences that I've seen get used in the email that gets sent out by um, by the CEOs or on behalf of the CEOs during announcements or day one 
is blah, blah, blah. We've acquired this company, et cetera. This is the greatest thing that has happened to the company, et cetera, et cetera. I expect you employees to do this for me and for the company. Very seldom the other way that you need to be successful in this one so that we can be successful. In, in, in other words, I'm asking of the employees to do something for the CEO versus the CEO doing something for the employees. What's your take? That would rub me the wrong way. Um, right. I'm all about servant leadership. And yeah. I always tell my team, I'm not going to be willing to do something that I'm going to ask you to do. I, I, I will row in the same direction. Um, I'll take one or you take the other. <clears throat> we are in this together is right. the way it to be. It's not the CEO loftier than thou. You know, I'm dictating and you're going to do this. It, wrong approach. That will alienate folks faster yeah. <laughs> during an integration. We are in this together. This is my vision for the company. I'm going to help. I'm going to keep leading. I'm going to create this. I'm going to support you. Raise your hand. If you see something going sideways, raise right. your hand, have better ideas. Showing that you are right there with them is huge. Brilliant, brilliant. What are some of the tools, techniques, uh, websites, books that you may have read and enhanced your expertise in this area? Oh boy, I'm a big <laughs> fan. Uh, having spent um, several years on on airplanes. Um, one of my favorite publications is the Harvard Business Review. Right, yeah. And I would get there, I don't know if they call them pocketbooks or whatever, but in the airport, they're a great easy read. They can go right in your backpack. A lot of snippets of articles that yeah. for me been huge over the years. I love those. Mm -hmm. It's an easy read. It's practical. It's, it's storytelling in a lot of ways. It's just not academic. You hear right. from real people kind of like us that... <clears throat> have been in the trenches in the working world. We're not just here to pontificate on the right way to do things because we know what it's like day to day working. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I actually just, I have three books on my list for my holiday reading, um, kind of a different flavor for all of them, but Daring Greatly, Brene Brown, going to read it again. Great book. Um, just for my own personal development, it's time sure. to go back to that one. Um, the Psychology of Money. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, which uh, I'm going to read that one. And then People Economics. Right. Into the people space a little bit more, um, which and I think that was going around in our community uh, about a good read. So those are my three books for the next couple of weeks to get through and read those. But, you know, I still come back to... Um, anything on leadership, anything on change management, any practical stories, because I, I learned through experiential learning and through yes. stories. And yes, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's always those, uh, how other companies went about doing things, how individuals went about doing things. Yeah. Uh, a great sort of place to learn from. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, for people who are starting out, what would you tell them? What piece of advice would you give them? The biggest way to learn is to do. Yeah. You can only learn so much from a book. Right. You can only learn so much from a YouTube course or online learning. Build your tool set. But each for me, what I love about what I do, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, do you like what you do? Are you just going to, you know, come in and join and, and leave after three years because you're tired? And I'm like, no, I love what I do. Correct. Because yeah. 
each deal is different. Every right. single deal is different. Every single culture is different. People are different. Yeah. You can learn some of the science, but you've got to be nimble at the same time. And you've got to ask questions and you've got to be humble. I don't know everything about M&A, but because everything is different, that's what keeps me getting up every morning to go, there's going to be a new challenge today. I'm going to learn something that I didn't know before. And half of me is going to want to kick myself, but then the other half is going to go, okay, I'm not going to do that next time. Um, Exactly. Yeah. That having worked with a lot of our up and coming leaders over the past couple of years, uh, the biggest thing that I tell them right now is you need to be patient. It's, It's taken me a long time to know what questions to ask in what environment. It's not going to happen overnight. Find a good mentor and find a good leader that you can learn from. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm sure some of the um, viewers and listeners may come back to you to you know get some mentorship. I'm, I'm sure of that. Um, do you have some time for some rapid fire questions? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Brilliant. Um, what are some of the um, posturings that you've seen that you really hate? You know, some slimy tricks that uh, senior leaders apply when it comes to integration. Um, we, we did this deal. Now we're walking away. Now you can go and fix it. Right. <laughs> Drives me absolutely crazy. Um, uh, it, yeah, I, I think it's that it's that we did the numbers. Yay. Go. I, you know, pop the corks and, and now we're moving on to the next one. Well, wait a minute, <laughs> time out here. Um, that, that really does. It's a little irritating, you know, there's a nice handoff and things like that, but to the level of arrogance, I think kind of gets to me after a while. I couldn't agree more with you there. You know, arrogance is literally something that puts me off big time. Uh, what behaviors would you want to see more of, or would you encourage in an M&A integration? Yeah, partnership. Okay. I think is a big one. Um, being partners when you go through, especially a merger of equals, understanding right. that it is a partnership is is huge and rowing in the same direction. Um, yeah. And knowing there's going to be some times where you might've been a leader before that you're going to have to be a leader and then you're going to have to be a supporter and follower. And understand that that that's the, the uh, that's a change, and sometimes it's hard for people. Awesome, awesome. Um, what would be that one condition that you consider completely non-negotiable when it comes to culture in M and integration? If there is a lack of, shall I say, walking the talk, uh, walking the talk from senior leadership, right? Absolutely the worst because you can't turn around a culture when or you can't support a culture or drive a culture when you have your senior folks saying one thing and doing something else I would say that is the worst thing that I've had to overcome and that's tough last question before we uh, end the show today what makes you tick what makes you get up in the morning and be excited about mergers and acquisition integration I think the thing for me is it's always a new challenge and I've taken a slightly different approach over the past couple of years of, I love what I do and I, I tend to follow my purpose a little bit more, I think, than I did when I was younger to say, you know, 
it's okay to be exactly where I am right now. Right. And knowing that I do, I'm a project manager by heart. I plan and plan and plan, but to be prepared for the unexpected for me is the biggest thing that I go, okay, this is what I planned for the day. Something's right. going to come. I'm going to learn something. And that's great. Um, sometimes it's like, why? Um, I should have been able to plan for this. But that for me is one of the things that gets me up in the morning. Um, I, right now I've got a great team. I enjoy working with them. They're all very different. We've got a great team that brings a lot to the table and working with the people that I enjoy working with for me is huge. Um, people leave bad bosses. They don't leave bad companies. And that for me is very um, true. So Very yeah. true. And one last question. Um, imagine yourself 15 years back or 20 years back when you started your MA career, right? And if you had to give advice of your current self to the 15 year old, you know, the 15 years back uh, mm -hmm. self of yours, what would you tell that person? Chill out. Don't <laughs> <laughs> come in time. Chill out. Um, chill out. This is. I know it's a little bit cliche, but it is a journey, right? There is no end. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I remember when I, when I left wall street a number of years ago, I remember people saying to me, you are imploding your career. Right. And I felt a lot of shame in that and oh, sure. I worked so hard and to be where I am now, it's fine. My career has just, it just took a turn on the journey. Right. Uh, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. You know, there isn't always a clear path. Right. It isn't always, it doesn't have to be one way. And right. I think, especially for women in MA or women uh -huh. that are working in this space, it's, you get looked at a little bit differently. And sure. you understand that you can be exactly who you are and you can be authentic and you can lead from your heart. And that will make a difference at the end of the day, especially in the MA space. Brilliant, brilliant. And that's a very, very nice way to bring closure to this episode. Um, Sarah, as usual, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed our conversation here. And I'm sure our viewers and uh, listeners would say the same. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Anytime. I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. This show was sponsored by Fifth Chrome, a business strategy advisor in a training company specializing in M&A, post-merger integration, and business strategy. Did you like today's content? If yes, then don't forget to hit the like button. If you heard something interesting, then don't forget to share it with your network and friends. And last but not least, please support us on this journey to spread awareness on topics related to M&A and integration by subscribing to our channel. That's all for now. Stay healthy and see you next time. And if you like this episode, I'm sure you'll also like our latest new tool. It is a quick assessment scorecard to assess the robustness of your M&A integration design. It just takes less than five minutes to answer. It is for free and you can get instantaneous recommendation. So visit maintegrationplan.scoreapp.com and find out for yourself.